This week, we discuss the difference between cannabis and hemp, cannabis nomenclature, CBD weed, and Trojan horses. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. I'm originally from Pierre, South Dakota, but I'm living in Portland, Oregon right now, and I'm a business strategy consultant in the cannabis industry. That brief moment of EDM elation was brought to you by Montec with a track titled Cougar, in reference, of course, to Cougar Acres Consulting, where our guest is managing partner, developing soil-to-sales strategies in the U.S. cannabis sector, where she helps companies with brand image, financial health, and organizational design. She also works as an industry analyst for Blake Industries, helping companies expand their market share in the emerging hemp industry. So I think it's safe to say she knows a thing or two about the ever-growing cannabis industry, particularly from a business end. And with all of the changes the industry is going through at the moment with new laws and regulations coming into effect all over the country, her services and expertise will be very much in demand, especially with the legalization of hemp throughout the United States. Tara definitely finds herself in a very interesting and unique position, which led me to wonder how she got there in the first place. The first time I, I got into the industry was working with Natalie Darvis. She's my business partner uh, at Cougar Acres. And she's also, as you know, the Dean of Faculty at Oaksterdam University. And at the time, she had a outdoor cannabis farm in Mendocino County, California. And she was looking for somebody to come help her manage her harvest and uh, do some trimming. And I just happened to be a uh, Recently, uh, out of work after leaving the corporate world because I was, you know, all the things, disaffected, disillusioned, bored. So I took the leap, quit my job, went to Mendocino County, um, was working with Natalie. After that, I did end up going back into the corporate world. Um, I worked for a place that does daily news briefings for big corporate clients, uh, big corporations and like government agencies. Then, you know, again, 
started wondering, what is this all for? What am I doing? And I linked up with Natalie again, and she invited me to join her in her consulting company. And I jumped at the chance. This is, you know, cannabis has been something that's really important to my, in my life. You know, it's been something that's kept me going and, uh, and I see what's going on in the industry right now with all the changes that are happening, all the big money that's coming into the space and pushing out the legacy operators. So that's really one of the things we focus on in our practice is helping folks who have devoted their lives to cannabis and who were risk who were risking their freedom. Now they have a, you know, they need, I think a little bit of help in adapting to the changes. So that's our main focus. I think I'm in the majority of people here who also believe that the corporate world pretty much sucks. And I don't blame Tara at all for wanting to leave the land of Mordor where the shadows lie for greener pastures where she not only gets to follow her passion, but also help others in the process. Win-win. She mentions how big business is putting a squeeze on legacy farmers, and sadly, the cannabis-slash-hemp industry is not immune to that, especially considering all the potential money to be made once regulations become more relaxed. And trust me, a small legacy operation run by people with a passion for cannabis is far superior to that of a gigantic corporation whose main motivation is to turn a profit. So kudos to her for siding with the little guys. But this battle is just getting started, and something tells me it's going to be a long one. But with her knowledge and experience in both the cannabis and hemp sectors, I wanted to ask her a very basic question concerning nomenclature that many people are still confused about. What is the difference between hemp and cannabis? After all, aren't they the same plant? That's a great question. It's something that is a huge issue right now. Uh... Even within the industry, there's not a consensus on how we should be talking about this. And there's a lot of confusion still about what hemp really is. You know, even in people, even among people who have been in the cannabis industry for a long time, there's a lot of misconceptions. You know, for example, a lot of people think that hemp is just the male plant, the male cannabis plant. That, that's not correct at all. Uh, what happened is the 2018 Farm Bill created this definition for hemp, and it's any uh, specimen of the cannabis sativa plant that has less than 0.3% THC. And I think what's important to remember about this is this is just a legal definition. It's not a scientific definition. There's nothing magic about the number 0.3%. It was it was just picked by some policymakers um, and to define this new classification of cannabis. Hemp is really just cannabis that's in a special legal class. That's the way that we like to explain it. But then you're kind of left with, well, now what do we call the thing that we go to the dispensary to buy to produce the intoxicating effect? Because that's cannabis too, but so is hemp. So we're kind of struggling to find some words for that. What we usually, uh, Natalie and I usually say to be specific is, you know, we call it high THC cannabis. 
And I think that's what most people would call or what has been called in the past marijuana. But, you know, I think it's important to remember, too, obviously, that's not a scientific word. That was a word that they came up with the third it came up with in the thirties to demonize the plant as part of the whole reefer madness thing. You know? So I think as a whole, I think it's a good idea for the industry to move away from that, but uh, it's been like everything. That's, it's a process to get people to, to change. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, you know, the confusion I think is compounded by the fact that, Marijuana is still the term that's used in the law. Like the federal law is, you know, when you look at federal U.S. statutes, they still use the term marijuana. It's actually spelled the old way with an H instead of a J. So that's enshrined in our statutes. And then states use it as well. You know, most states, if you look at the legislation or the ballot propositions that uh, that launch these new medical or adult use cannabis programs, they're using the term marijuana too. So they aren't helping us out at all <laughs> in terms of moving away from that. So uh, it'll be, be a lot to untangle, but you know, for now, I think getting folks to understand what hemp is, and what it's not is really important to get everybody on the same page. Hemp is just a modern-day version of hennep, which is an old Germanic word. Compare that with the Dutch hennep and German hanf, you can start to trace its origins. The word cannabis, however, comes from ancient Greek. Strangely enough, this is also the source for the English word canvas, which just means hemp and fabric. Confused? Well, so were the prohibitionists in the U.S. who had to come up with a new term for the plant to make Mexican immigrants seem scary to white North Americans. Marijuana, the dried leaves and flowers of the Indian hempweed, is used in the form of a cigarette. Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. Should you ever be confronted with the temptation of taking that first puff of a marijuana cigarette. Don't do it. Now contrast that with this. Hemp for tackle and gear. Hemp for countless naval uses, both on ship and shore. Just as in the days when old Ironside sailed the seas victorious with her hempen shrouds and hempen sails. Dramatic music aside, we're dealing with the same plant here in both audio clips. One, of course, refers to the psychoactive kind, while the other refers to industrial uses of the plant. And as far as taxonomy and nomenclature go, not much has changed since then. And as Tara states, it's policymakers and not scientists who decided on what terminology to use, which should be the exact opposite of how we refer to a plant that we've been using for millennia. Well, why is hemp so important now and rapidly increasing in popularity across the globe? 
Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, particularly, you know, the big craze right now is the CBD that's derived from hemp, the cannabidiol, which is the compound found in all types of cannabis, including the ones that, you know, also have a higher, high THC level. Um, But specifically, I think in the U.S., with all these hemp-derived CBD products hitting the market and hitting the mainstream retail market. So this is really the first time that, uh, you know, a cannabis-derived products are ending up in consumers' homes for the first time. It's really the first touch on cannabis for a whole new market. So I think in the long run, I think that it's going to familiarize people with the benefits of cannabis and really open them up to those possibilities for the first time. Um, You know, I think you've seen that they're selling CBD everywhere now and there's major retailers selling it like uh, Kroger, uh, the grocery store chain that's got, you know, outlets all over the country, they're selling those products in their store now. And it's really also the first time that the federal government has had an opportunity to regulate cannabis and uh, cannabinoids. So we're kind of seeing how that might play out right now uh, on the hemp side, how it might play out if we move towards federal legalization of high THC cannabis. So um, it's kind of a preview, if you will, of how this might go. Decades of demonizing anything cannabis-related has left a mark on our collective psyche to the point where we now have to undo all the negative associations people still may have about the plant. And I think promoting CBD products might be a good way to make hemp and or cannabis accepted in the mainstream. If you take a walk down any retail street in the U.S., you will certainly see all sorts of products containing CBD or at least the pot leaf logo indicating that it contains some hemp. However, we shouldn't rush to buy those products just because of the CBD or cannabis logo on the packaging. Tara explains why. Unfortunately, though, there is a lot of bad actors out there on, I mean, there's always been in any industry, but, you know, with the new hemp industry and all these CBD products, I'm really concerned about, you know, the number of uh, terrible products that are being sold. And ineffective products, you know, um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of media outlets have gone and done their own testing on the CBD products that are available in retail stores. And, you know, over 75% of the products they test don't actually contain what they say they contain on the label. And that's really not good news for making a first impression on, you know, on consumers. So I think a lot of, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of responsibility, I think, right now put on retailers, Um, you know, the folks who do own, you know, the head shops or um, the, uh, like, bodegas or, 
those kind of places, these independent retailers really need to be vetting these products and testing them themselves, having their staff test them, really doing their homework on how these products were made, uh, what kind of source material went into them, because they're really kind of acting right now as, as the goalie to try to keep some of these bad products from slipping through. Just because something has cannabis on the label doesn't necessarily mean it contains what it says it does. That is up to the regulators to control that. So it seems like many retailers are simply trying to cash in on a popular trend without actually having any concern for what's inside. Shops will now sell all sorts of CBD-containing products, be it gummy bears, infused sports drinks, even dog treats. Consumers may think that they are buying something with CBD in it, though ultimately they could be buying nothing more than a placebo. And since CBD is non-psychoactive, it's that much harder to tell whether there has been an effect or not especially with your pets. The elephant in the room, however, is flour or buds containing high amounts of CBD and little to no THC. If you go to a head shop or a tobacconist, you might notice that many of them are now selling this type of weed. Same goes for many of the so-called cannabis shops throughout Europe. You'll find all sorts of varieties that are high on CBD and extremely low on THC, which means you don't need to have a prescription or go to a dispensary to buy some. However, more and more dispensaries in the U.S. are starting to stock them. Tara goes into the details of how this is playing out in the U.S. market. In the dispensary realm, I would say the flower that you would find there that has a very high CBD content and a very low THC content is still being produced by licensed growers, people who are actually licensed to uh sell, uh, grow and sell cannabis into the regulated market, the dispensary system, uh, not seeing as much of the unregulated hemp making its way into the dispensaries yet. There's a, there's a mechanism for doing that in Oregon, but I don't know of any other States that have done that yet, but it's absolutely becoming a more and more popular product in the dispensaries. Uh, I think uh, BDS Analytics and Headset have both recently released reports of market data that show that interest in that kind of product is rising. And it has a great therapeutic effect. So you're missing out, of course, on the intoxicating effect of the CB of the THC when you smoke a high CBD flower, but you're still getting the CBD, you're getting the terpenes, you're getting that whole other range of cannabinoids that's present in the plant besides just the CBD and THC. And that produces, you know, the the entourage effect that we talk about all the time. Whereas some of these products, uh, you know, on the retail market that just have the CBD or they're like CBD isolate, where that's the only molecule you get, it's, I, I don't think they're as effective, but it's totally different for everybody. You know, these products affect everybody in different, different ways. Um, but um, smoking is always going to be a really efficient delivery method. It's, this, it's a really efficient way of getting the beneficial compounds in the plant into your body and into your bloodstream in a way that doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily happen in the same way with like a tincture or an edible or something like that. So um, 
you know, I think the popularity of the CBD flower is going to continue to rise as people seek out more efficient ways of delivering those, the CBD into their body. Any dispensary in the U.S. will certainly have all sorts of various CBD products, including flour. THC flour, however, is still much more popular than the CBD variety, which to many is kind of like what non-alcoholic beer is to regular beer. Like O'Doul's, but for weed. For all you Chappelle Show fans out there. However, we're starting to see more and more kinds of non-alcoholic beer, including craft beers. Are we going to see something similar with CBD flour from dispensaries? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, it's a, that greater availability of these high CBD uh, cultivars, I think is an indication of a more mature market. So in a new market like Illinois, you, you still have the producers there and the customers there are still really focused on the THC and that's kind of always how new regulated markets roll out because, you know, when, when you're producing under prohibition, what you want to go for is, you know, you want the most bang for your buck. So as a breeder or as a grower, you're going to try to hit those really high THC numbers because you know that that's what sells. But as you come out from, you know, the grower's closet, like you say, um, people have the opportunity to develop more nuanced preferences. Breeders and growers uh, can be a little more adventurous in in the types of flowers that they want to grow. And it's um, it just kind of grows from there. So the other thing, though, is that we're seeing more and more is the CBD flower is available outside the dispensaries now. So that is something that happened, you know, under the 2018 farm bill is now the hemp flower, which is the cannabis that is, you know, legally, it's a, just a legal definition. It's less than 0.3%. That's now you can sell that. You can grow that and sell it anywhere you can pick up a pack of hemp cigarettes now in a gas station here in portland i don't know if you're seeing that uh a lot where you are in your travels but you know, or you can go to um like a head shop or a tobacco shop and they have several options there of either hemp pre-rolls or like a filtered cigarette and those are available totally outside the regulated dispensary system. So that's really catching on to, um, you know, they're selling that in retail stores, you know, not, not seven 11 yet, but maybe your smaller, like independent bodega, they, you know, they a lot are increasingly having some smokable hemp flour available or there's a lot of companies that are just selling, you know, online direct to consumer. And it's really amazing because I think a lot of people still think that you can't smoke hemp, but it's absolutely the same plant as the high THC cannabis we smoke. And it's, 
it's not, you know, it's, it's not going to give you a headache. That's the, <laughs> I hear so many, um, you know, especially in States where they don't have the longer history with, uh, with cannabis that you get like these old, old man policymakers who say, Oh, oh you can't smoke hemp. It'll just give you a headache. <laughs> like, well, you kind of want the regressive thinkers like that to keep thinking it for a while so that we can make some progress before they catch on. I think. <laughs> Sometimes the confusion is helpful, actually. You know, um, because that's the other thing. Regulators do not understand this issue either. Obviously, if we're having str uh, struggles within the industry, coming to an understanding on this, the folks that this is not their day-to-day -day lives, they're going to be struggling even more with what all, what this all means. And, you know, they, they're, they're barely just getting acquainted with high THC cannabis. And now all of a sudden they have to deal with hemp. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities for education, but also, you know, it doesn't always hurt to fly under the radar for a while, let ourselves, you know, let the industry get itself organized before regulators start taking a real hard look at changes. A trip through Europe will show you that CBD flower is becoming more and more popular to the point where in places like Switzerland, you can buy packs of CBD pre-rolls in supermarkets and train stations. So the change is noticeable, and you start to think, could this happen with THC someday? If so, then are skeptics and prohibitionists right to think that CBD is nothing more than a Trojan horse for full-on legalization of THC? Uh, yeah, I, I love your description of a Trojan horse. And I agree, maybe that's a little negative, because, you know, the Trojan horse was full of soldiers that you know, went and committed a bunch of violence. But the the metaphor of the Trojan horse is really apt here because it is. It's bringing cannabinoids, cannabis-derived products, into people's homes for the first time. And they're getting to see those therapeutic benefits and feel them for themselves and it's absolutely going to loosen, continue to loosen attitudes towards high THC cannabis. And, you know, if you've already got experience, a good experience with a cannabis derived product, why would you oppose it at that point? Almost the other arguments against it start to fall away much faster and you gain a lot of support. I don't know whether this is actually what the cannabis industry folks intended. I don't think so. I, I think this is a bit of a, it's a kind of a nice surprise, but I think it's a surprise to a lot of folks. You know, I think where the farm bill, but where the hemp provisions of the farm bill really originated were in Kentucky. A lot of folks who used to be in the tobacco industry started lobbying for uh, lifting the prohibition on hemp because they were looking really for a way to you know, 
provide a, a new economic outlet for people who worked in tobacco because that industry is dying. You know, it's, they've lost, you know, thousands of jobs and, you know, there's folks who have farmed tobacco for generations and now all of a sudden they had nothing to do. So they went and they lobbied on, you know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. He's a Republican, but he's from Kentucky. And he wanted to help out his constituency. So he was the one who was really instrumental in getting this through the whole federal legislative process. So I think it started out really as kind of a way to save folks who were left behind by the tobacco industry. But now it's it's really having this positive effect on the cannabis industry as a whole. Um, but one one caveat I would add is that this is a time where cannabis and hemp industry both need to be really, really careful about the quality of their products. And because when consumers start getting an ineffective product or even, you know, a harmful product, it's all going to go away really fast and the mood is going to turn on a dime. So it's really a critical time right now for, for the industry to be on its best behavior because all eyes are on us right now, I think. So CBD, while not exactly in the same league as THC in terms of popularity, at least for non-medical use, can still be useful in opening up people to THC products, which is ultimately the goal of the legalization movement. We want the whole plant legal and available, not just arbitrarily selected parts. So is there any advice that Tara could give to up-and-coming ganjapreneurs? I would just say, if you're coming into the cannabis industry, learn as much as you can about the plant itself, about its history, about how the history of prohibition. Remember, learn what people went through to bring us to where we are today, and uh, you know, try to try to connect with those folks that were there before we had you know, publicly traded multi-state operators in the cannabis industry. Like think, try to, cause I think that's where the future success is going to come from is looking, looking back to the roots of where of the plant and the movement. And we're out of time. So sadly we have to say sayonara to our guest. Terabon Horst. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do the interview. Uh, it was a fun chat, and I wish you all the best with Cougar Acres and any other cannabis-related projects you're working on, and uh, hope to catch up again uh, with you soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. That's a wrap for episode 33. Many thanks to Tara Bonhorse for the highly informative interview. You can contact Tara by going to cougaracres.com. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and other hemp fanatics. If you want to support the Critical Grass podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash criticalgrass and become a subscriber. I'll thank you for it in a future episode. Stay tuned for more Cannabis Talk. We have some very cool guests coming up soon. My name, as always, is Bogdan. Stay high, my friends.